here's what we want to talk about today. And if you pull out the outline, is we want to talk about how to have a glass house marriage. In other words, an authentic, real, vulnerable marriage. Or you could say how to be naked and not afraid, even in the area of conflict. Yeah, and so uh, how we thought we'd start today is just by kind of asking all of us a real naked question. And you see it there on the front of your outline. Um, here's the question. How satisfied are you with your marriage? Okay, those of you that are here today and you're married, why don't you take just a second and be honest, okay? Because, you know, we can't move forward. We can't, um, you know, improve if we're not honest about where we're at. So take just a second. We even gave you the numbers 1 through 10 there. Mark that. Your spouse is not looking over your shoulder okay this is <laughs> this is just you but uh, how satisfied are you with your marriage now before we kind of jump in um, I do want to say those of you that are here and you're not married don't check out on us today okay because you know we are going to be talking about uh, what we're talking about today like Troy said dealing with conflict we are going to talk about it in the context of the marriage relationship but these principles are universal they can be applied to all relationships to your relationship with your parents to re your relationship with your kids your relationship with your friends um, so it's you know we're, we're talking about it in the context of marriage but you can apply these to all relationships and so um, we're just going to spend just a few minutes talking about how how to deal with conflict because you know the reality is no matter how great a marriage you have there is going to be conflict right I mean conflict is real and uh, you know because you're two imperfect people living in an imperfect world so conflict is bound to happen and I was kind of thinking about it this week and even thinking about some of the conflict you know that Troy and I have been through over the past 28 years of our marriage and you know I was thinking about how you know isn't it funny how um, some of the things that we have conflict over, some of the silliest, the smallest things that can turn into this big conflict. You know, for example, how many of you at any of our campuses has, have ever had conflict with someone you're in a relationship with over where you're going to go eat? Anybody have that conflict? Okay, yeah, it's like, you know, Troy comes to me and says, well, you know, wh wh where do you want to go eat? And I'm like, oh, I don't care, you pick, you know, and he says, okay, let's go to Grand Lux. No, I really don't want to go to Grand Lux. Well, I thought you said you didn't care. Well, I don't care, but I don't want to go there. You know, it's just, and all of a sudden, it can turn into this big conflict. Or, you know, how about um, conflict over who's going to get up with a crying baby in the middle of the night? Any of you with small children? I remember those days. Yeah, or how about this one? Conflict over how your spouse drives. Anybody have that conflict? Yeah, you guys knew I had to throw that in, right? <laughs> because in our 28 years of marriage, that is definitely the biggest conflict Troy and I have on a daily basis, multiple times a day, <laughs> is, uh, is his driving. So, but you know, when you think about it, some of that, but we're working on that, right? You're working you're just, on that. You're working it, on your driving. Yeah, you just not experienced good driving before. Oh, oh yeah, that's it. That's, that's it. it. Yes. But, you know, but it is. Sometimes we can have conflict over the smallest, the silliest things. And so what we want to do, you know, we really believe that, you know, to deal with conflict effectively, we have to create an environment where that can happen. And see, here's the thing about conflict. You know, when you hear the word conflict, we often think of it as a bad thing. Right? You know, conflict's not a good thing, but conflict can actually be a positive thing. 
because conflict just means that you're going deeper in the relationship. You know, it's not just surface type things, you know, because see, Troy and I, you know, we, we can appear to be a whole lot alike, you know, on the outside. Um, you know, we like some of the same things and this and that, but once we go deeper, you know, that's when our differences start to come out. And if it's only if we're willing to deal with conflict that we can discover those things. And so uh, we just kind of wanted to start today with that real naked question, how satisfied are you with your marriage? And then um, kind of the next thing we want to talk about is a glass house commitment. Yeah, and, uh, and it's important. The Steph and I have now been in ministry for a while, and the thing we hear a lot is, well, I, I didn't see it coming. You know, he left, she left, we didn't see it coming. And that's where that question could really help, is to, to spend some time. Just because you think your marriage is a-okay doesn't mean your spouse does. And it's important to talk about that. Now, let me just, don't do this. Don't get home and say, well, hey, honey, what'd you, what'd you, what'd you mark? And then, you know, well, I, you know, I put a six. Don't go, I can't believe you put a six after all I've done for you, right? It, because it, it's what they perceive, and what they perceive is what we all have to deal with if we want to truly get a, a, a 10 or have a great, great marriage. All right, well, so let's look at the vow. You may not have made, if you're here and you're married or going to be married one day, you might make the exact same vow, but it's very, very similar. Let's read it out loud um, together, okay? Just, I think it's good for us. And if you're single, you could be married after this, all right? <laughs> I, am, I am a preacher, okay? So let's, let's read this out loud together. Here we go. To, to have, have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do us part. I do. You guys are not quite as good with that part of it, all right? <laughs> I do. That is the vow. Now, the commitment is the I do part. Now, that commitment in marriage is so huge, and here's why. It's what makes marriage different from every other relationship. See, we didn't come up with marriage. You didn't come up with marriage. God did. God formed, if you think about it, the family, marriage, and uh, the church, and government. Those are all God's ideas in order to create environments in which he can be glorified and we can experience his blessing. And there are some blessings that can only be experienced between a man and a woman inside the commitment of marriage. Commitment provides the environment where these incredible things can happen. And without the commitment, without the I do to the vows, you, you, you can't experience them. That, that you know you you can love one another you can live with one another but without that commitment you will not experience them it's like if there's some folks standing outside the building and I go out there and I say hey come on in we are having a party man there are some amazing things happening in the auditorium and they're standing out there saying oh no we're experiencing them out there I'm like no no it's in there that's where it is happening it's not happening out there it's happening in here no no it's it, it's 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 cool out here you, you're missing out and that happens so many times where two people say I love you but you know what let's 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 not do the marriage thing let's just let's just move in together let's just do because we really do love one another I'm not doubting the love and I don't get a commission for the number of people who get married God doesn't say you know way to go Troy 
I, as a pastor, that's what God nudged our hearts to do. I want you to be as happy as possible. That's really what I want because I think when you and I are happy, the world wants what we have. And God said in order to have something that you can't have in any other type of relationship, it has to take place in an environment of commitment. And if you say, well, Troy, we are committed to one another, I'm going to challenge you on that. If you haven't said I do, you are not. I know you've got a reason and you've got a rationale and all those kind of things, but there's only one reason not to say I do, because you don't want to make that commitment. And you will miss out. That's the only thing I'm saying. I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm just saying you're missing out on some incredible things God wants you to have. Now let's look at this vow, what God says about this vow. Because he does take it very serious. Because when we say I do, I'm saying it to my beloved, but I'm also saying it to God, right? It's before God. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, don't avoid keeping it. The Lord your God expects you to do what? Keep it. You would be guilty of sin if you didn't what? Keep, Keep it. it. Make sure you do what you said you would do in your vow. You freely chose to make the vow to the Lord your God. Number says something very similar. A man who makes a vow to the Lord or makes a pledge under oath must never break it. He must do exactly what he said he would do. So let's look real quickly at what we said we would do when we said I do to the vow. Okay, so let's look at these vows a little bit and say, okay, what is it that I really am committing to? Why is this unique? Well, the first part is what? From this day forward until what? Death. Death do us part. Now, so how long is that? Well, it's from this day till the end of my life. Steph and I did not experience this commitment before we said, I do. Did we love one another? Of course we did, or we wouldn't have said, I do. But the moment we said, I do, until the day my heart stops, I have made a commitment to her. And she has made a commitment to me. It's a real commitment, and we know it's a real commitment. Why? Because of its length. It defines it. It's not a commitment, you know, I do until you start to sag, okay? Or <laughs> until I find somebody a little bit better, you know? No, that's not the commitment. And therefore, there is the freedom within this relationship to be real and authentic. Why? Because we have made a commitment to one another. Um, and and that um, provides that environment. Yeah, and then here's another thing. Our, our wedding vows are also an authentic commitment, an authentic commitment. And we're talking about its circumstances. You know, the circumstances that you and I committed to when we said, I do. And uh, what are those circumstances? Well, we can look right back there at the vow. We committed for better or for worse. Now, better is easy, right? I mean, it's easy to be committed when things are going well. You know, when the family's doing good, when the jobs are going well, when the kids are doing good. I mean, it's easy to be committed then. But what about for worse? When things aren't going so well. You know, when there's challenges, when there's struggles, maybe there's pain, there's frustration, there's conflict. It's a little bit more challenging, but it's no. I committed to you for better and also for worse. We also committed for richer, for poorer. Again, richer is easy, right? When the finances are, are going good and you don't have that daily stress of how you're going to pay your bills and, you know, you're able to get what you want, what you need, then it's easy to be committed. 
but it's a little bit more challenging when we talk about for poor. You know, when the, you're not sure how you're going to make the bills at the end of the month. You know, when you maybe only have enough money for you and your spouse to go out and eat one time a month and that's at McDonald's. You know, it's a little bit more challenging, but it's, it's remembering that commitment that we made. You know, that I'm not committed to you just in, in the good times, but in the bad times as well. And then the other thing we committed to is in sickness and in health. Again, healthy is easy, right? Sickness is not so easy. You know, during the, probably the first 10 to 15 years of our marriage, um, there was a lot of sickness. There was, um, Troy had a lot of, a lot of medical problems. Um, there were, just to name a few, there was back surgery, there was neck surgery, there was nose surgery, encephalitis, Bell's palsy, he had migraines, uh, stents placed in his heart. You know, just to name a few things, it seemed like the first 10 to 15 years of our marriage, it was just one thing after another. And, um, but it's just remembering, you know, no, Troy, I'm not committed to you just in the healthy times, but I'm committed to you even when it's, you're not so healthy or I'm not so healthy. And so um, I think, you know, remembering the circumstances that you and I committed to. Yeah, and so, again, that provides a very unique uh, environment when you have that kind of commitment. So it's real, it's authentic, but it's also vulnerable. Marriage is a vulnerable commitment. And the reason, if you think about the way it's expressed in the vow, is to love and to cherish. And to commit to, to, commit to love someone is a risk, isn't it? This is the way I put it in, in my notes. Love is a decision. It's not a feeling. Does love have feeling? Of course. It's a you know, a quiver, you're just like, oh, but it's not just that, right? There are times, you know, when I look at Stefan, I'm just like, oh, oh, I love her, you know? And then there are other times when I, it's, ah, oh, you know. Uh, <laughs> so, so, so love is a decision, the way I put it is a, love is a decision expressed by an action. So I've made a decision, I love Stephanie and the way, and then I express that how by acting it's a it's a verb I, I put love as a decision expressed by an action not a reaction not to an action love is not a reaction to an action in other words what I mean by that is a commitment to love has nothing to do with what she does see I am committing to love her I am not committing to love her with you know some exceptions out here as long as you do this, this, and this. That's not what the vow says. The vows say, I love you in sickness and in health, for better or for worse, richer or for poor. In other words, when things are going well and when I am committing, that's why there's a risk involved in love. That's why we talk about how important it is that you and I say I do to the right person. Because in order to experience all that God wants us to experience in marriage, we have to have that kind of environment. We have to have that kind of commitment. So when you think about for better or for worse, what is worse? Well, worse is when you say, I do to someone who gambles all your money away. That's worse. But you said you made a commitment to love them, and love is not based on what they do. Love is based upon my decision. See, that, that, God in his word says that marriage is our illustration to the world of how much God loves us. And God loves you and me even when we do gamble it all away. Even when we become gripey or grouchy or difficult to deal with. That's why this is such, do you see why this, this is such a unique relationship? 
where I am making a commitment and it's not based on her, what she does or doesn't do. It's a commitment to love, to express and to act upon the decision that I've made. It's not a reaction to her. It's not she did this and this and so now I feel love so now I'm going to act in love. No, I am deciding to love and therefore I am going to act uh, in love. And that's that's so important to create this kind of environment so you and I can have what the world doesn't understand. What I, I, I think it, sometimes we miss out in because we don't understand the commitment that we're making. We see it as a ceremony and we see it as something to take pictures at and something that's really you know nice and it's beautiful and, and, and we mean it but there's always these exceptions. That's why I, w I would never marry someone that asked me to sign a prenuptial. And, and, here's the re and, the, and this, that's the reason why. Why? Because they're not committing to me. They're saying, I, I'm, I, I'm, I, I want to hang with you, but, you know, it, it, I'm not going to give you everything that I, I, I'm holding something back. So now you want me to commit everything to you, even though you're not committing everything to me. And when you read, what does the scripture say? Leave your father for this reason. To have this kind of love and intimacy and authenticity and, and ability to be naked and not ashamed. Um, you, that for this reason, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined, super glued with his spouse. They become what? One. All that I am. When it talks about the sexual relationship, what does it say? It says to give yourself. Right? And, th th and why is that so important? Because it's the only way to create this kind of environment in which you can experience what God wants marriage to be for you. When you hold back, you're missing out. I I've, t I've taught on it before. It's like, you know, you you've got the frosting of a cake, but not the whole cake. You've got the whipped cream, but you're missing the substance. Um, and God just wants so much more for us. Yeah, and then here's the, here's the last thing. Our, our wedding vow is also a personal commitment. You know, when you say, I do, again, the focus is on I. You're not saying we do, but it's I do. It's a personal commitment. You know, I, I can only commit for me. Troy can only commit for him. It's a personal commitment. And, you know, I know today as we talk about marriage and commitment, the tendency is going to be to be focused on your spouse. You know, I know that there are some, probably some ladies here today, and, and you're thinking, man, I'm so glad they're talking on this, about this today, talking about marriage and dealing with conflict, because my husband sure does need to hear this. <laughs> right? Come on, ladies. I'm sure some of us are thinking that, and some of you men are thinking, okay, you know, tell it like it is. Set my wife straight. Right? Because that's our tendency, is to focus on our spouse, what they need to do different, um, instead of focusing on us. And, and so, um, you know, so let's set some ground rules, okay? You can't do that today, okay? As we're talking, um, I want you to, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you. Don't focus on what your spouse is doing or what they're not doing. Instead, focus on you. Focus on, you know, what you can do to be a better spouse. So that means, you know, it's, it's funny, when we do a teach 
um, uh, teaching on marriage. You know, it's funny the perspective from up here looking out because you see a lot of elbows, you see a lot of nudging. You know, it's like, did you get that? You wrote that down right because you really need to hear this. And um, but because that's what we tend to do is is think about you know when we're dealing with conflict, well, you know, it's all my spouse's problem. If they would just do this or just do that, and um, you know, I, I'll share a real naked truth with you. Um, it was it was quite a while into our marriage before I got this that it is a personal commitment. See, I thought I was doing everything right and Troy was doing everything wrong. You know, I remember a lot of things. <laughs> but, you know, I thought, you know, I remember thinking, man, if he could if he would just get this right, we could have a really really great marriage. You know, even praying, God, would you please reveal to him um, what he's not doing that he needs to be doing? You know, it's cuz see, I was I wasn't making it personal. I guess, you know, as if I was, you know, was uh, had no faults, you know. But um or I guess I was making it personal for Troy or what what I thought it should be, but you know, instead of saying, God, change me, you know, I guess I was praying, Lord, would you please change Troy? And, uh, you know, that should never, we should never pray that or say that. It's, no, God, change me. You know, what is it in my life that needs to be changed? What is it that I need to do so that I can be a better husband, so that I can be a better wife? So let's look at a, a few things the Bible says that we need to put on our wardrobe as far as, uh, so that we can be authentic and we can be real with one another and create this environment. Colossians chapter three says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Well, the first one he mentions is tenderhearted mercy. I think a better translation would be compassion. Um, a lot of translations actually use the word compassion. Well, what is compassion? Compassion is to be aware of suffering and then have a desire to alleviate it. And, and so if I'm going to have compassion in our marriage relationship, then I have to become a student of Stephanie. I, I have to be able to read her, to be intentional about knowing what's going on in her life. Why? So that I can see any hurt or pain, any kind of suffering, whether it be feeling overwhelmed or tired, whatever it might be, and then I can try to alleviate it. And I think a lot of times, again, we can easily go through the motions where we ask the question, hey, is there anything wrong? And she says nothing. But there are times you know, right, when nothing means something. I, again, I wrote it like this in, in my notes. I, I need to know when nothing is nothing or when nothing is something. If I don't recognize nothing as something when it is something, nothing will be the something I experience later that evening. All right? You might need to share that again. <laughs> Make sure we all, yeah. Let me read it one more time. I need to know when nothing is nothing or when nothing is something. If I don't recognize nothing as something when it is something, nothing will be the something I experience later that evening. Okay? That's good. Thank That's you. good. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> right? So it's, it's an intentional desire. I remember when we first got married, I, I decided that I want to be the first one to recognize if Steph got a haircut or she got a new shirt or she got little butterflies painted on her fingernails. I, <laughs> I didn't want somebody else 
to, to, to be the first to, to recognize those things or to see those things. I really wanted to become a student of what she was feeling and what she was thinking so that I could have uh, compassion, I could alleviate or help uh, work through some of those challenges. Yeah, and then here's another thing that we need to clothe ourselves with is kindness. You know, kindness seems like such a simple thing, but, um, you know, sometimes we, 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 we forget this. Um, it's just acts of kindness to let your spouse know how much you love them, how much you appreciate them. And uh, let me give you an example of kind of how this played out in our life this week. Um, as you guys know, of course, we moved into the glass house last Sunday evening. And, um, you know, I got to tell you, Sunday, you know, we were a little worried, you know, about, well, you know, just what all it was going to entail. But Sunday night went great. I mean, Monday was awesome. And Troy and I are looking at each other thinking, man, this is easy. We're, you know, we are, no problem these next two weeks. This is going to be easy. And then Tuesday hit. And along with Tuesday came a whole lot of challenges, a whole lot of difficulties with the house itself. You know, I don't think we all anticipated what living in a glass house really means. And so um, we had air conditioner problems. And so then to alleviate that, they, the guys came in and put these insulated panels in the ceiling, but then that messed up the roofing somehow. So then, you know, we had all the rain last week. So we had leaks everywhere for, you know, it, it pretty much rained all week so we were it, it was just a challenging few days really until maybe like Thursday afternoon we started getting all the kinks figured out by about Thursday afternoon Thursday evening and by this point Troy and I were going on about four hours of sleep for like three days so we were tired not grumpy just a little bit tired and um, so we get up Friday morning and of course we're trying to prepare you know for the weekend and doing the glass house thing and and Troy says to me he says Steph I, I think you need to go home for a few hours and uh, not, again, not because I was grumpy or anything, but he was, you know, he's like, you just need, you know, just need to get refreshed. I, you know, I'm worried about you. you haven't had much sleep and, and uh, just go home, take a few hours, you know, work on the teaching, just refresh. And, and I have to tell you, you know, whether or not I was going to do that or not, it didn't matter. Just that, that he thought about that. Just that act of kindness, just it spoke volumes to me. It spoke love and, and it spoke, you know, appreciation. And um, I think, you know, in the marriage relationship there's so many things you know I think sometimes we think well you know it's got to be on this grand scale you know where I have to order flowers every week or surprise them with something or this and that and but so many times it, it, it's not that it can be done you know kindness can be done without any money being involved or very little effort um, you know I think uh, um, you know maybe it's surprising them with uh, with something or maybe it's leaving a note in their car or even complimenting them on, on how they look because see here's the thing about about kindness kindness is contagious so I would encourage you regardless if your spouse is showing kindness or not you choose to be kind and you know and then I think you know because kindness is contagious then I think that kindness you know will be returned so you know I think when we're talking about dealing with conflict in the marriage one of the things that we have to clothe ourselves with is is simply kindness so you have compassion kindness then he says humility Peter says the same thing. He says, clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. What is humility? Well, it's not saying, you know, I'm an idiot, I can't do anything right. Because that really is insulting God. Because the scripture says that we're masterpieces. 
and, and were masterpieces, though, not because of my ability, but because of who God has created me to be. So humility is knowing from where my strength comes. And, and it plays out in this sense. A humble person is a person who's willing to apologize. Right? Pride is what keeps you from apologizing. Well, if I apologize, they'll never respect me. The liar, the enemy, whispers all these lies into our ears. But humility or a person who's humble can apologize to their kids if they raise their voice too loud or they express um, emotions in front of them that they shouldn't have. They can apologize to their spouse if they've embarrassed them in front of other people. Whatever it might be, there's this willingness uh, quickly. You don't have to be beat over the head to apologize. A humble person knows that there needs to be restoration in the relationship. And in order for there to be restoration, I need to acknowledge that I've screwed up. I've missed the mark on this. And so I'm going to apologize. The other thing that humility does is it serves is it's willing. Remember Jesus was our example. He took off his outer coat, got down on his knees, and he washed the disciples' feet. And the question is, is when's the last time I washed the feet of my spouse? And I'm not talking about literally, although you can do that, I guess, if you want to. But um, when's the last time I really served my spouse? Maybe even in a humbling way. Maybe my buds and my friends, you know, made a little bit of fun of what I was doing or the way in which I did it. But rather than let pride rise up, I just humbled myself and let them say whatever it is they're going to say because I wanted to acknowledge, I wanted to love, I wanted to express um, to, to my spouse. Remember what it says, God, it's the only thing it says God sets himself up against is pride. So if I'm a prideful person, think about what I've done to my home. Think about what I've done to our relationship. I have set the only hope our relationship has up against us. But if I'm humble, then I and my relationships get to experience God's grace. And so humility is one of those important uh, pieces of clothing we need to put on in a uh, glass house marriage. Yeah, so we have compassion, we have kindness, we have humility. And here's the next one that we need to clothe ourselves in is gentleness. Now, I think, you know, where kindness is what we do, I think gentleness is in how we do it. And I was kind of thinking about this, you know, I think we can define gentleness in the marriage relationship. I think we can define it as this. It's loving and respecting your spouse with an even temper and having strength under control. And, um, you know, I love that strength under control because, you know, I think oftentimes we can think of the word gentleness as, as being weakness. But it is far from that. In fact, gentleness in marriage, it, it's learning to control your actions, learning contr to control your words, even learning to control your thoughts. And um, so when we think about, you know, the marriage relationship, how, you know, how does this play out, the gentleness? And I think one of the biggest ways is just in how we speak to each other. You know, the words that we use and not using, not being harsh, not being rude, not being sarcastic. You know, sometimes it's not even in what we say, but it's the tone that we say it in. And I love what Proverbs uh, chapter 15 and verse number one says. It says, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Now, did you catch that? It says, a gentle answer deflects what? It deflects anger, yes. And so, you know, I think 
living our lives by that, that gentleness, and, and just some practical ways that, you know, that we can uh, maybe practice that in the marriage relationship. I think just like the scripture says, remaining even-tempered, you know, even during conflict, you know, when the tendency is going to be to scream or yell or, you know, uh, be accusing or be frustrated, be angry, but no, it's remaining even-tempered, displaying gentleness. I think it can also be, you know, speaking the truth in love, you know, where you're, you're speaking the truth, but you're doing it in a loving way. I think maybe it's something as simple as offering a hug to your spouse when they mess up. You know, instead of scolding them like you would scold a child, it's just simply offering a hug. And so, you know, I think when we think about gentleness, it's clothing ourselves with gentleness because I think that really can um, help us as we learn to deal with conflict. Yeah, think about how this often goes when you think about gentleness. It, you know, your spouse looks at you and says, you know, I, I, I don't appreciate your tone, right? And the natural reaction is to what? Roll your eyes? <laughs> tone, what's wrong with my tone? Well, that's not a humble response, is it? That's pride. It, that you, it, what I think about my tone has nothing to do with now what we need to deal with. The reality is if she believes my tone is... Uh, not a helpful for our marriage relationship, that is what has to be dealt with. And, 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 I, and I come back to this because most marriages break up over those kind of things. They're never able to get to, to reconciliation because of pride. Because they can't sit down and say, no, no, I, you're, okay, let's deal with that. Now, I might not think that my tone is too loud or too whatever, but if she does, then I need to discover, well, what kind of tone? I need, I need to talk through those things because the end goal is for us to have this incredible kind of marriage modeled in front of our kids so that they're able to experience um, that in their lives in the future. But that takes real humility. All of these, they cannot be put on if there's not real humility. And where do you, what keeps us from having real humility? A lack of commitment. That if you find out who I really am, then you might not be around. And so you can see why it's, there's such a big struggle. The other one is patience, right? He tells us to put on patience. Here's what patience, uh, the definition according to dictionary.com. It's bearing the provocation, annoyance, misfortune, or pain. So those things are happening to me without complaint, loss of temper, or irritation. Patience is the antithesis of frustration. Right? When you're frustrated and you just feel it rising up within you you, you, you want to explode and some people do and then they feel better but everybody else feels worse. I grew up in a home, my dad is the youngest of seven kids and they're not one of the seven um, only had one marriage. They all had multiple marriages and the, 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 the breakups were often because of temper because of anger, because of abuse, because of those type of things. And I, I remember I was afraid of my dad's frustration or my dad's temper. He was no fun to be around. And, and you never knew exactly how he, what kind of mood he was going to be in. And so Steph and I got married. And I remember I played a lot of softball when we got, got married in tournaments and stuff. And one uh, Saturday morning, we're leaving the house and we're down the road a little ways. And I, I look over and I say, hey, Steph, could you? got to have lawn chairs to sit in. I said, you get the lawn chairs? And she's like, no. And I could just feel that frustration that she didn't get the lawn chairs. Now, she wasn't born with the responsibility to get lawn chairs for softball <laughs> games, okay? 
but I, it just it angered me, and so I turned around, and I knew she didn't like my driving, and I was going to give her a lot of reasons to not like it. Um, and so I drove home, and you know, crazy, and pull into the parking lot, get out, slam the door, walk around the house, and I get the lawn chairs. They're in my hand, and as I'm walking back around, I just it's so uh, so clear all these what 25 years ago. I remember thinking, is, is this the kind of relationship I want to have? Is this the way I want my kids to feel about me? Is this what I want to deal with? And I remember making the decision that I, I need to be patient. I, I, need to be, um, I need to deal with this frustration. I need to deal with this, this temper. And here's what God wants to do. God doesn't want our transformation to be an act of the will but a change of the heart. See, an act of the will, when you get tired, when somebody says, I'm sorry, I'm just tired, what are they saying? My willpower has kept me from losing my temper, but I'm tired now and my willpower is no longer able to keep me from losing my temper or keep me from being frustrated. God doesn't want you to, or me to settle for that. What does God want to do? He wants to transform my heart where I no longer feel the frustration. When I look back, and I see things happen that I know would have frustrated me in the past. It's not like I'm s suppressing frustration. It's that I, I no longer feel the fr uh, frustration. God has transformed my heart. See, that, that's why every weekend when we challenge you to be obedient. Why? It's because anytime you and I are disobedient to something God puts in our heart, what happens? We stop growing. We stop being transformed. That's why we talk about baptism. That's why we talk about all these different areas. It's the reason I ask and, and, and challenge the, all, every way we know how to be faithful to his house. Not once a month. We meet so many people. I've been coming here on and off for the last six months. We, you, God doesn't, you can't be transformed that way. You can't be changed that way. You can maybe be inspired to have stronger willpower. But that's not lasting. That's not real. And the world knows that. So you're disciplined and you got willpower. Those are good things. They're not bad things. But God wants more for you and me than that. He wants to transform our hearts. And that happens over time as we grow. And then you look back on your life and, and you think, man, I'm different now. It's not that I'm stronger. It's not that I'm able to sit on my emotions. It's that that anger is gone. And that is what God wants for all of us and so we put on uh, patience and humility and uh, all these other pieces of clothing that we're talking about yeah and then here's the last thing and I think maybe the most important thing that you and I need to clothe ourselves with but I think also maybe um, the the thing that we struggle with the most and that is forgiveness look back at Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 13 it says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. See, forgiveness starts with us acknowledging our need for forgiveness. You know, it's, it's so easy to see um, other people's sins, their screw-ups, their mistakes, but it's a lot harder to see our own, isn't it? And, you know, I think... Um, 
we, our, our flesh can really battle against forgiving. You know, it's like if your spouse does something that hurts you or offends you, you know, our tendency is, is to want to hang on to that, you know, to, to make them pay, to get revenge, uh, instead of letting it go and, and forgiving. And Because, see, forgiving is um, it's a choice. It's not a feeling. And I think sometimes we get confused on that. We're waiting for that feeling to come. But forgiveness is a choice. It's where you and I say, no, today I am choosing to forgive. And then once we choose to forgive, then we can deal with the feelings. And, you know, I think forgiveness also, it starts in the small things. I think we have to practice forgiveness in the small things. You know, when, when someone cuts you off in traffic or, you know, when someone says something that hurts your feelings. Because, see, if we can't forgive, if we don't practice forgiveness in the small things, it's going to be much harder to, to forgive in the really big things. You know, you, you've, um, you hear sometimes about, um, you know, a, a parent that forgives uh, maybe someone that's, that's murdered their child. Or, you know, you hear about a spouse that forgives um, that unfaithful spouse. And, you know, in your mind you think, how in the world are they able to, uh, to forgive in, in those circumstances? And again, I think it all goes back to, to living a life of forgiveness to practicing forgiveness even in the smallest of things. And, you know, forgiveness doesn't mean that you forget. It doesn't mean that once you say, once you choose to forgive, that you say, okay, now, you know, it's wiped from your memory. It doesn't work that way. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you and I don't need accountability, because we do. But it's simply saying, you know, I'm choosing to, to let go of this. I'm choosing to not take this into the future. Um, you know, I want to move forward in my marriage relationship. So, you know, again, talking about dealing with conflict, I think one of the most important things that you and I have to clothe ourselves in is, is in forgiveness. So we have a naked... Um question, we have a glass house commitment, we have a glass house wardrobe, and then a naked truth. And this could be a little challenging. It's the next verse, verse 14 in Colossians. Above all, clothe yourself, or this is describing a belt, with love, which binds us together. It's the belt in perfect harmony. And isn't that what God wants in, in your marriage and all of your relationships, really? Harmony? He wants a sense of unity. He, he, he goes on. And let the peace, isn't a peaceful home a beautiful thing? Yeah. I mean, haven't you walked into a home or even an office? And you can walk into some offices and you feel the tension. You feel the conflict. You walk into other ones and you, there's a sense of peace there. You walk into certain homes and you're like, there's a, there's a peace there. And let the peace that comes from Christ, so it comes from God, the word rule there means to umpire our hearts. In other words... Christ gives me the ability so that I'm umpiring, whether I'm frustrated or whether I have forgiveness. For as members of one body, and remember that's what Genesis says, that we come together, that we're one flesh, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Here, here, here's the statement or the truth. Your relationship with others is a reflection of your relationship with Christ. That scripture says that where does peace come from? Where does a good marriage come from? It comes from my relationship with Christ. So if we're struggling, I need to start with my relationship with God. Now we need to work on some things. I'm not saying that we don't do that. But what I'm saying is, is so many times we get 
discouraged or a sense of hopeless because she doesn't even seem to care or he doesn't even want to, 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 to improve things. And God's saying, start with me because I am where real peace comes from. And so even in a difficult situation, you can still have a peaceful heart. And when the person you're in relationship sees that, there's an attractiveness to that. I'm not saying that every time, all times, that's going to uh, change everything. But I do. I am saying that that is a lot more attractive than uh, a heart that's filled with tension and anger and frustration and hopelessness. God wants us to be able um, to enjoy our relationships and to go to a depth that the world is attracted to and doesn't really understand. It's a great way to point folks to the hope that Christ gives us. Would you bow your head? I want to pray for us. I know some of us are here and we're hurting. Father, I, uh, I pray that we would have the peace Colossians talks about. I pray that we'd have the unity that it talks about, the oneness that it talks about. I pray for those who are dating God that they, would, that they wouldn't settle for anything than, than the incredible gift of, of marriage. I pray, God, that we would make commitments to one another. We keep those commitments. I pray for those who are in a difficult relationship right now. Their spouse is not here, doesn't care anything about being here. I pray, God, that you would give them peace, that you would put great people around them, that you would give them a strength to trust you even in this situation. May the world see our relationships and glorify you because of the great joy that they see in them. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, give God a hand, all right?